all are now again. The listeners, the wonderful, the magical, the handsome and attractive listeners, <coughs> pardon me, to the Irish in Sweden podcast. Nearly a year doing this now, boys and girls. I can't remember exactly when we started, but there's a good few episodes in the can now. And this could turn out to be one of the longest ones because we have a little bit of an interview coming up to start with. And then after this, right, I'm speaking to you during the week ahead of when you hear this, right? I'm going to be heading off to the Gaelic football tournament here in Stockholm on Saturday. And I'm going to be bringing an L microphone and an L dictaphone. And I'll see who'll talk to me there. And I'm hoping that it'll be some of the Elflas who uh, started the Stockholm Gales and who played alongside me. The men of war, my brothers, my band of brothers there. We're going to have a little chat with them as well. But for the time being now, uh, I keep saying it, but after the summer, there's loads of things going on. I keep meeting myself coming back work-wise. There's loads of great things to be done. But one of the things that I wanted to bring you before I forget is our good friends and sponsors over there at the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden are holding an event uh, in the very near future that I wanted to tell you about, right? And it's called Northern Light, the Irish Professional Business Network, which is, uh, I think it's a Nordic-based one, and the Irish Chamber here in Stockholm are very much involved and they're running an event on the 8th of September from 11.30 until 12.30 right and it's about applied sustainability a business mega trend right the per- the speaker is going to be the chairperson of the Irish Norwegian Chamber of Commerce Roger Stevens, who's going to look at the role of sustainability in business and how it's evolved over the last couple of decades and what it's going to mean for business today right now I think this is going to be fascinating so if you're involved in uh, the business community at all or if you're interested in things like sustainability if you heard Anna Rangord another uh, great girl who started the Stockholm Girls with us all those years ago was on talking about it just a few weeks back so uh, get involved in that and this is the first in a series of events right it's an online event so you can watch it from your desk or you can take part in it from your desk at work or if you're working from home you can put your feet up on the couch while you're having a sandwich at lunchtime and you can have a wee listen to that and take part so if you go to irishchamber.se irishchamber.se Gwinda right you'll find it fairly high up on the page applied sustainability a, me- a business mega trend and register for that whole event right because the chamber are doing brilliant work all together and we want to make sure that uh, there's plenty of people along to have a listen to it and like i say it's going to be fascinating it's just there's so many um so many interesting aspects to it and if you want more details about it drop a line to our good friend Rory Moore Rory's been on the podcast before as well Rory.Moore at irishchamber.se Rory.Moore at irishchamber.se so it's uh, going to be well worth taking part in that right what else have we for you this week um, oh yeah there was another thing that popped up there on my Facebook timeline this is a, I should have really written all these things down but our good friend Carl Stein do you know who Carl Stein is you don't ah there's a good fucking reason for that right because I've been trying to get Carl to come on the podcast podcast for absolutely ages but he does what the young people these days call ghosting right left on red boys and girls i send him an old whatsapp and go ah any chance of an interview and you know before they go yeah yeah no sorry yeah yeah no sorry and then all of a sudden you say oh well what about this time on monday ghosted lads ghosted vanished into thin air right and you know he's a very handsome fella very talented fella has a great story of, about his life here in sweden but he has a company making lesk right lesk is a swedish word for soft drinks and they're marvelous and i have to say my kids love them especially the raspberry one and the lemon one uh, the company is called tushed t-o with the two dots over it r-s-t right and like everything else carl uh, touches well most things he touches anyway tis all turned into gold and it's going very well for them and they're looking for a dry slash ambassador or brand ambassador part-time so a couple of days a week uh, to help them with deliveries of touched products in the greater Stockholm area now as far as I know it's from seven in the morning to f- about three o'clock in the afternoon a couple of days a week so 
I'm imagining you'll be, you know, they'll get the orders online, you go in and pick up all the stuff, and then you drive around the place and deliver it to loads of people. And I'd imagine they're very popular with people like our good selves, like the great listeners of this podcast. So um, if you want to get in touch with him, Carl, K-A-R-L Stein, S-T-E-I-N is his name. So uh, see if you can get in touch with him there and uh, put yourself forward for that. Now, obviously, you're going to need a driver's license. Uh, some form of transport wouldn't be too bad either. Um, and yeah, so get in touch with them and you know, you'll have to have a bit of a knowledge of Stockholm as well. Like, uh, you know, there's no point in sort of saying, right, I'm going to, um, I'm going to learn about Stockholm, that kind of thing. Google Maps really needs somebody who, who knows their way around town just to make it sort of work that well and that, right? So if you want to go for that, info at tushedbeverages.com. Info, obviously you can spell that, hopefully. T-O-R-S-T, beverages, B-E-V-E-R-A-G-E-S.com. I've done any amount of spelling at the start of this podcast. What am I like? Honest to God. But that's, uh, if you're looking for a bit of an old job there in Sweden, you can get in there with the lads as driver ambassador at Trust. And Carl Stein, if you are listening to this, give me a call. Seriously, not scaredy. Ask anybody I've interviewed before. Tend to be very nice to people these days. Not half as angry as I used to be, you know. Uh, This is, of course, a listener-supported podcast, supported kindly by the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden and our good, good friends at Veerstrom's Pub. Uh, We'll probably pay them a little bit of a visit now after the Gaelic football tournament on Saturday. So if you want a table, you want to book it now because there's going to be a whole lot of thirsty Gaelic footballers in there. We might even pay a visit to the old dub if there's too many of us, but Veerstrom's is the place to be, the place to go. Um, Another great bolt hole now when we're coming into the autumn. Martin will have all the Premier League games in there, any sport you want, right? Just go up to the bar and Moina or the Gales there will sort you out. If Martin is there, he's sometimes he goes be hiding in the kitchen but if he's not hiding in the kitchen ask him he'll get the remote control out so any game you want he'll stick it on the television there you never know you might actually see us down there I keep saying I'm going to do some sort of live podcast in there I'll do it soon enough uh, we just have to find the right guest for that but our first guest on today's show, before we go over to Scarpnick's EP and see what's happening with the Gaelic footballers from all over the Nordic region, is a gentleman named Shane Quinn, right? Now, LinkedIn is a great old yoke, and that's where you'll find the Irish Chamber and all these other lads, right? But you'll also get in touch with an awful lot of people who maybe aren't on Facebook, maybe aren't active on all social media. Maybe I've never seen Shane on Twitter, right? Fascinating character, right? Really, really well-educated academic in the areas of international development, uh, peace and conflict resolution, human rights, all these kind of things. And he spent an awful long time in Sweden, uh, probably nearly two decades, if not more at this stage, working with these things, both nationally, but mostly internationally, right? So I figured at the time that we're living in, because an awful lot of these things, even if we can be a bit sort of up ourselves with our nose in the air here, we tend to think, oh, so we're all very civilised here, and it's only those poor countries that need a bit of democracy. No, right? There's a lot of things that we could learn from, from somebody like Shane as well. So I said, I'll get him on the podcast and we'll have a little bit of a chat about he was appointed there about a year ago uh, to the board of uh, an organization an NGO called I think they're an NGO anyway called Better Governance I thought geez I'll have to have a chat with this chap and just have a talk to him about these things because obviously Sweden has this great reputation in that field as well so I said I'd get him on for a little chat and sure here it is Shane Quinn me good self having a chat about human rights and governance and how Somali people are like the Irish and shit a whole lot of it. starts uh, we'll just go straight into it you are on the board of the better governance project here in sweden could you just explain a little bit uh, about what the better governance project is and how they managed to get you on the board well uh, the better governance project uh, philip is about two years old 
And it was started by a couple of staff, a couple of people that, or three people actually, it's got three staff now, uh, that saw that there was a lot of kind of like gaps in the quality of the type of kind of programs and projects that were being run in different countries that affect basically government institutions. Uh, you know, how to, how to make these institutions more transparent, more accountable, uh, less corrupt. And, um, you know, you have like huge amounts of uh, projects and programs run by the World Bank, UN, um, lots of different donor governments as well. But they just wanted to, they, they, you know, they'd all been working in it for quite a while and they decided we'd like to start something a bit more kind of, yeah, like kind of with the vision of like kind of bring a bit more quality to the type of work that that, uh, that we do in this sector. So, uh, so they're very kind of like, um, it's not an easy task and I really admire them a lot uh, actually for starting this project because, you know, it's, it's hard competition. You're up against some pretty big kind of intergovernmental organizations and consultancy firms and, yeah, I mean, for, for, the, uh, for the layman or laywoman, uh, this is not an easy, like, it's kind of a little bit complex, this whole kind of technical assistance, um, you know, these types of projects and programs that are run. Uh, when you pick up the paper, for example, and you read the news and you see, okay, what's happening in Ukraine? It's terrible. But behind all that, there's a lot of kind of work being done supporting these types of governments, government institutions to be more kind of, you know, responsive and uh, transparent and accountable. So it's made Ukraine a little bit more robust in this war as well, all the work that's gone in since, you know, 2014. So, mm. um, so yeah, no, it's, it's exciting work, but it's also very challenging, I would say. Yeah. And your own background, Shane, because, um, you know, your CV isn't uh, one that many people could boast here in Sweden. So you studied international relations. This was your thing from the very beginning. You didn't just fall into this. You intended to become what you are today, right? Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, actually, I, you know, I come with a BA from Manute, uh, and I came over here um, and I studied in Uppsala University, Peace and Conflict Studies. And I basically started working in NGOs. I was pretty determined. Uh, I was lucky, I think, to get a, to become an intern in, a, in a, an NGO, non-government organization. Um, and started working like in East Africa. So they sent me down there immediately. And so I was pretty blue eyed and ended up going down to this, uh, to Somalia, to Kenya. And so it was like a big experience for me. So I really, I kind of, yeah, I started working with these types of issues. Like, um, I suppose you call it like conflict resolution and um, working a lot with like civil society and, and participation and very much kind of like democracy work down in these, in these countries. So. Mm. Yeah, and then I kind of moved on. I've, I've been a consultant. I worked for this for a government agency here as well in Sweden, um, and for various other organisations. So yeah, I've kind of I spent a lot of time out in the world in places that people wouldn't all, you know, have as a major tourist destination, so to speak. How were you received in those places, Shane? Because I can imagine that, you know, post Live Aid, Bob Geldof, oh, here comes this white saviour lad waving his degree from Maynooth. Uh, you don't know what it's like down here. Did you, were you met with open arms down there because you were spreading democracy or were you just seen as an obstacle? Uh, yeah, no, I was always very self-conscious about that because um, there is a bit of this, you know, kind of paternalistic um, criticism of development aid in general, like, you know, uh, middle-class white people from, from the North come down to sort out the global South. And, you know, people, I know a lot of other people who are kind of, yeah, it's, they're a little bit kind of 
uh, not so keen on that picture. And so I, I did always have that, but I always kind of came with this looking for entry points in, in who these people were, like we were working with our partners and really being respectful, I think, of them living in those contexts. And they show that they, you know, I worked a lot with professionals in Congo and Ethiopia, Somalia, and they were been working in their communities for years. So it's all about building trust and show that, look, we're not here to sort out your problems. We're here to listen. And um, I found that we got a lot better, better, better kind of community way of working and, and better quality in the projects as well. So, yeah, but it's always on your mind. I mean, it's a little bit kind of that yeah, paternalism that's at the back of your mind all the time. So I, I'm very, I'm very mindful of it. What was the biggest difference? Because as you mentioned there, you know, you felt very blue-eyed. Uh, it's a, a direct, almost a direct translation from what the Swedes would say about it. But you arrive down there into a place like Somalia because, you know, we've all, there's a lot of people around where I live from Somalia and that kind of thing. And it's just a different way of doing things. What was the biggest challenge to your sort of, you know, Western Irish sensibilities arriving in that context, finding some way for yourself to be able to work and to be able to do the work that you had to do? Yeah, I mean, in Somalia, it was... Um... It's a very kind of, uh, I, I'm very fond of the place, I have to say. Um, and I, I really enjoyed working there and some of the colleagues I had as well. And um, I, I remember my first kind of, uh, you know, it was the first few days I was in Somalia. And there was a colleague of mine who said, you know, Shane, you know, the, the Irish and Somalis, we, you know, we're, we're very alike in many ways. I said, oh, really? Okay. So tell me, <laughs> tell me, it's like, I felt pretty ignorant at that stage, you know, and uh, he said, well, you know, like, um, I think there was a, like an anthropologist years ago in the 18, 1890s or something came down, British <laughs> anthropologist. Oh, he started comparing the Somalis to, to the Irish. They're very passionate. They're quick to an argument. They take things very seriously. And, you know, they're, um, they prioritize family and uh, community above everything else. And, and so, so this kind of, I thought it was quite interesting, you know, to, to hear that from some of the Somalis as well, that they immediately warmed to me the fact that I was Irish more than I was, you know, coming working for a Swedish organization. It was an immediate connection. Mm. And I find that a lot in different countries, you know, coming from a small country myself. And um, yeah, so I think a lot of people in these countries, like that I've been in, I kind of, yeah, we, we're, we're kind of known for our our kind of willingness to kind of work together and, and to not come with that kind of prestigious way of working as well. So I, I, I yeah, I immediately noticed that when I was working. Do you find that it helps because, you know, as you won't get any whiter people than Irish people, right? But having been sort of colonised ourselves and ruled by the British for 1800 years or for 800 years, do you find that people identify with that? I'm thinking back to, you know, when it, it, the British embassy in Tehran, when the authorities there changed the name of the street, it was on to Bobby Sands Street and it still exists today, yeah. just to annoy the Brits post his death in 1981. You know, do you find that? Do people Are people aware of Ireland's tradition of struggle in the same way that maybe they struggle to get rid of colonialism yeah they would be yeah they would be fairly up to date on these things yeah mm. especially commonwealth countries would know their history a lot of the people would know their history mm. uh, and they would say to me and say like we identify with the irish because you're the only yeah, country in europe that was colonized basically mm. and often by the same colonizer so you know you have that kind of a lot of the a lot of the political systems are very similar you know the, the kind of ways of governance and institutions as well so you know we've inherited a lot of that in, in ireland as well you know mm. So, yeah. If we look at those things that we have inherited, right, 
there's a lot going on in Ireland. I hate to date the podcast. We're talking about current events, so I'm not going to do that, right? But it tends to happen that in countries that have been colonized, when the colonizer leaves, they tend to leave behind a sort of a, an upper class and, you know, or, you know, a sort of a, a landed gentry. And basically they take over the same role and they try to protect their, their powers and that kind of thing. If we loop back to what you're doing with better governance, what are the things that countries like Ireland and Somalia and Congo needed to change post-independence in order to be better functioning democracies? I think it comes down, and now I'm fairly biased, actually. I think it does come down to what the better governance projects are looking at. Um, it's about these kind of, these robust structures that you need for government, for good governance, basically. And, you know, if it's not good governance and it's good enough governance, and, but it always depends on the context and your own history as well and, and what you can make and culture and how you, the type of system that you want to have that you think can be responsive to, yeah, I mean, safeguarding the interests and the rights of your citizens. So, you know, it's, it's about adapting, it's about finding your way in a kind of a slow, methodical manner, and often very painful manner. If you, if you think about, like, some of the countries in Europe, I mean, we had feudalism, we had, like, it took us hundreds of years and blood and, and a lot of death to get there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's these, these kind of, like, organic processes are, can be often painful, but very rewarding in the end, I think. I think you look at countries like Senegal, um, that has, a, like, a, you know, good governance or a system of government that works well. Um, and it's not a super resource rich country at all. You have like success stories like Botswana and, uh, you know, Tunisia and the Arab Spring. So, yeah, I mean, it's about finding your way as a country, I think, but you can also look to other countries as well. And sometimes countries can be inspiration, I think, in, in how systems work there. Um, I was once working for, as a consultant for the OECD and we were down in Morocco and they wanted to, hear about there were different national experts from different countries explaining their system of government and uh you know and it was interesting for them because they were like okay we are at the on the cusp of trying to see can we take tidbits from different systems and put together and adapt it to ours and what we have in the new constitution and it was a really kind of it was a bit of an eye-opener for me actually back then because it was a kind of a a country that's in a kind of a luxury position to be able to sit back and say, look, what do we need here? And that's where I think you can come in and that kind of peer-to-peer approach, I think it's probably a good thing to do. Of course, one of those countries that has a very good reputation internationally for fairness, for openness, for things that work okay, is Sweden, uh, where we both lived. I mean, you're probably here for two decades now. You mentioned studying at Uppsala. Is that reputation deserved? I think so, yeah. (laughs) I think so. I think, I mean, you know, we're, we talk a lot about the Nordics, uh, Sweden especially, because, you know, I live here and, and having lived here and then, you know, when you go back to Ireland and there are lots of different things that you notice that are, are big differences, I think. Just the kind of like openness and uh, you have like, you know, the, the, the level of accountability and transparency and um, the, the, the kind of predictability of functioning institutions as well. And the fairness of it all in Sweden. And now, I mean, we're going through a bit of a phase here in Sweden that it's not the old welfare system that, that you know, is kind of mythologized a little bit by the Social Democrats going back to the 50s and 60s and 70s. But, you know, Sweden has to adapt as well. But there are, there is this kind of, it has a long history of like sound public administration here going back to the 1600s. So it's not surprising that you, I mean, Swedish history in that way is fascinating as, first country that had like a 
having a freedom of expression as back in the 1700s. So, you know, even before the UK. So it's like, it has a long tradition and and it shows, I think, in how far it's come. As we're talking now, we're sort of just coming up, we're about two weeks out from a general election here in Sweden. And I've been thinking a lot about these things and I've been trying to keep me trap shut, which never works out well for me, strangely. But one of the things I was thinking of, Shane, was that Sweden is moving more and more towards what other European nations are, right? We're talking about, you know, we see parts of the health service, dentistry, that kind of thing, childcare, elderly care being privatised, right? And you and I well know that as soon as money comes into the, the picture, there's a possibility of corruption there. There's, you know, there's the bag of cash. There's you look after me, I look after you. There's people going directly from being elected representatives into lobbying and sort of, you know, sneaking in the back door and getting things that suit their new employers. How big are those risks, do you think, in Sweden that it would simply just become another uh, another democracy of interest where people are sort of creaming off the top for themselves? Yeah, there's always that danger, right? I mean, in Sweden, because it's the system is based on small government and kind of big public sector. And there are no checks and balances. Um, you know, there's there's no. Um, it's it's based on a, on a on a system of trust, basically. So the the idea is that I mean, there was an article. I think a leader that I uh, editorial read in in Dogans the the Daily here is like that. Was a few years ago now that if that happens, if you have the Sweden Democrats getting into power, they have a means of changing the system without those checks and balances because it is built on trust. Uh, in many ways, civic trust is so, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the main principles of Swedish politics. And so there's kind of people started thinking, well, you know, this is a little bit scary because maybe we need to kind of reinforce those, that system of, and to, and to bring in those checks and balances, because there are a lot of interest groups uh, pushing for different issues, of course, you know, and um, I think there's always that risk. I think Sweden in general doesn't have a whistleblowing law. Um, I know the Institute, some colleagues of the Institute for against um, bribes here, IMM, uh, they're very concerned that, you know, uh, nepotism is obviously one of the biggest um, forms of corruption in Sweden. It's often not seen as a kind of a major form of corruption in other countries because it, it's not about huge sums of money changing hands. But there is that risk here. And uh, they've been flagging this for a while because you've had some cases like in Friends Arena, down in Gothenburg as well at the communal level as well over the years, about 10 years ago or so. So there, corruption scandals do happen. So you can never kind of rest on your laurels and take it for granted that it's going to be like it was, like it's always been. I think you have to, it's like democracy, you have to, you have to safeguard it. I think you have to be aware of it and make sure that you know, everybody buys into it. I mean, there's excellent work being done by uh, the Better Governance campaign, but how many of those, is there any sort of NGOs that are looking at that in Sweden rather than in the global south, which is where we always think of, oh, Better Governance, oh, well, you're going to sort them Africans out, and there's a couple of Asian dictators there need a boot in a hole as well. But we never think of places like like Sweden, like Ireland, like the UK, the, the latter two, which have become sort of extremely corrupt in, in recent times in many ways. Do, do you know of any organisation that's looking at Sweden and say, look, we, we've got to do this because, you know, as you say, people could come in here, bad faith actors, and take advantage of, of the openness here? Yeah, Transparency International has a Swedish section. Mm. Um, and they do a lot of work. They do a lot of campaigning on this issue. Um, Transparency, they, yeah, they're all over the world. And they try to remind people here, but it often falls on a little bit deaf ears. They're not as effective as getting, uh, getting the message across because of the, 
people take it for granted that the Swedish system, there can't be any corruption in the Swedish system. Um, you also have IMM. Uh, I'm not sure if they're an NGO themselves, but they work a lot with different private sector actors. Uh, Svenska handles camera, for example. And, um, so they're pretty active. There's about four or five staff there. They're very active in seminars. They you know, often bring in people from other countries as well and have these kind of exchanges and, and, and just have that kind of humility to say, look, you know, corruption does exist here as well. Um, and it's not something that we just say to Tunisia or because you're low down the corruption index. So, yeah, no, yeah, I think there, there could definitely be more done on that level here, I think. Okay, so let's make you into the world's benevolent dictator when it comes to better governance, right? From what you've seen over the last two decades, from very comfortable, well-off, privileged countries like Sweden to the poorer countries in, Af in Africa, what sort of changes do you see the world in general needing to make in its democracy, in the way it runs its institutions? What are the things that you would recommend from your two decades of experience? Uh, I would say I think a lot to do with like organizational change within uh, local institutions, national institutions, um, you know, different functions within these institutions, working with the people who work there, I would say. They often feel that they, they don't have the necess necessary knowledge to conduct their type of work that they do. It's really important work. And to like reinforce, I would say, or strengthen kind of principles that are kind of crucial, I think, for running government institutions. And this is, you know, it's the legality of decision-making, make sure that the laws are followed correctly according to the mandate of each institution. I think that you can also like look at the transparency of, of processes that you do as a citizen and you go there and you say, look, you know, I would like to get an ID card. And you want to be able to make sure that you get the ID card in a few weeks. You don't want to have to pay any extra money. You don't want to have like an uncertain kind of response time. You know, these kind of things is like state authorities, and government institutions, they need to be able to be more responsive to citizens, I think, who are actually legally claiming services. So, um, and then, 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 you know, it shows like in lots of different research that um, people have more trust in institutions that function well and there's openness around these um, institutions. I'm thinking about, I don't know if you're familiar with Bo Rothstein, down in Gothenburg University, but he was famous for saying that there's a lot of human misery in the world uh, and it's not down to, um, uh, you know, humanitarian needs or poverty. Well, uh, poverty is a result of obviously like more dysfunctional government corruption and incompetent institutions. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think if you can work more on, you know, bolstering or like strengthening these institutions and really kind of showing that we want to work together with you on these um, issues. I think there's more kind of scope for a better development, uh, more citizen trust, I would say. And you wouldn't have like countries falling into kind of like you know, situations of fragility as well, where they can't basically provide services to those most in need. We've had a situation in the past in a couple of years where we've had Brexit, which has apparently is now done. I can I can't ever keep up with the with the lads over there. We've had an insurrection on the sixth of January uh, when there was supposed yeah. to be a peaceful transition of power. Uh, we see democratic institutions being eroded, and we see the possibility now uh, as we're talking. Actually, the Sweden Democrats, who have their roots in the neo-Nazi movement, are actually the biggest right-wing party in the country. Are you worried about democracy around the world, Shane? When you look at things like that, because and the reason I ask you is because as a former football. 
called Lillian Taram, um, who was born in Guadalupe, a black man who grew up in France. And I remember asking him about racism a few years ago. And he said, look, it used to be an awful lot worse. So no, I'm not worried about these guys because it used to be an awful lot worse in the 60s and 70s when my parents came to France. But over the, the longer perspective, is it something that worries you to see democracy being treated in this way? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm thinking that this is something that we just can't take for granted. I mean, if you have like two of the biggest kind of Western powers like the UK and the US facing into their own challenges, you know, I think people are looking there and just getting worried, I would say. And rightly so. Um, and, you know, we're facing it even in like with the Russian invasion of Ukraine as well. And the fact that Ukraine wanted it has always shown its EU, its, its EU colors, so to speak, because they they're they want to work. They want to have democracy. They, you know, they're. They want to have rule of law. They 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 have bought into the European model, um, and this is something that we need to safeguard. I would say it's also important for climate change and how it works. Like you know, participation of people who are most affected by climate change want to be able to have a vote as well and to be able to participate in decisions that affect their lives. So, you know, it's it's democracy is crucial on so many different levels. Um, even on like for business investment as well, economics as well. It's it's. There's so much research showing that democracies, you know, they, it's easier to do business in democracies. Democracies very rarely go to war with each other. Uh, and it's a more stable form of governance. It's not the best form of governance, it's the, but it's the only show in town as, as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we as citizens, a lot of people listening to this won't be Swedish citizens, but we're all citizens of somewhere. We all have a role to play. What role, what is that role, Shane? Because like I can, I'm not a Swedish citizen, so I can vote in local elections, but not general elections. But I still have, you know, the responsibilities of citizenship. I still have to look after my things. What kind of things do I need to think of to be like, you know, a working part of Swedish democracy? What can everybody who's listening to this do to improve their sense of citizenship? Well, I think you can definitely, well, if you're not a Swedish citizen, I guess you can't get down to the polls. That would be my first bit of advice. If you are a Swedish citizen, get down there and don't abstain. Uh, and I think, you know, it's like buying into the system that you, if you live here, you, I mean, you, you, you want to pay your taxes, of course. I mean, you know, no functioning democracy can work without, without you know, paying taxes, not trying to dodge any uh, taxes or like, you know, um, and yeah, I would say like, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question and it's got me thinking a little bit on my own individual level. I, I, speak, I speak so much about these, these issues from a, like a government institution perspective, but I think uh, everybody has a, a responsibility. I think uh, by voting for the, yeah, I mean, voting would be one of my biggest uh, recommendations for that. And uh, being a good citizen in many ways, like, I don't know, I mean, it's um, treat each other with kindness, I would say, in many ways. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, one of the things I've noticed over the last while in Irish politics is if you take Michael Lowry, who was found by a tribunal in Ireland to have taken corrupt payments from, uh, from a company, and the next time he went for election, he got the biggest majority he ever got in a doll election, which says to me that they were essentially rewarding him for being corrupt, right? And I just think that 
A, that hopefully couldn't happen in Sweden and nor should it happen in Sweden. That if you've been found with your fingers in the in the cookie jar, as they say here, or your fingers in the till, that maybe yeah. it's time for you to find something else to do. But at the same time, that demands that you or I don't try to claim things that we shouldn't claim and that we pay our taxes on time and that we pay for all the things we're supposed to pay for and contribute all those things. And um, if I could ask you one final question, and thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating to talk about these things with you. Um, where is better governance, would you say, with you steering the board as expertly as you can in the next sort of uh, five to ten years, would you say? Well, I think, you know, they really want to, like, develop and expand, I think, and to be a little bit more of a competitor, I think, to some of the bigger institutions or bigger organisations that are working on these projects and uh, to spread their message. And I think just, you know, some of these issues that I was talking about as well, it's like, how do you bring that, bring that quality to kind of project work in these countries and how can you build these partnerships that are very kind of um, can be it's amazing what you can do with small amounts of funds in many ways like these kind of micro partnerships that from something very small can you can build up something bigger I think and it's to find like-minded organizations that are thinking like a better governance project I would say and uh, and just you know flagging the importance of these issues I would say um, and not to take things for granted like you know, anti-corruption or, you know, the responsibility of citizens, exactly as you were saying, paying your taxes, contributing in the right way, making sure you're not, like, abusing the system, you know, uh, trying to find loopholes and, and things like this. Respect the system of the country you're living in. And um, so I think the Better Governance Project can definitely, you know, one, I think, develop partnerships with like-minded organisations, government institutions in these countries, and also be like, you know, be that organization that is in Sweden and can really kind of flag these issues, I think, and, and work more with and can handle like big donor projects, I think, to, to really address some of these uh, challenges that we face. That can essentially be summed up by a fridge magnet that I have at home that has Mahatma Gandhi on it and it says, be the change you wish to see in the world. Shane, thanks so much for taking the time to flag these things to us. And no doubt you've started many of the conversation on a Friday evening in a, in a pub somewhere about these things. But for now, thanks very much indeed, Shane. Thanks a lot, Philip. Pleasure. We have made our way around the pitch here. We are at the Nordic Gaelic Football Championships here in Scarpnex EPA, and I've seen quite a lot of old, old former podcast guests here. We're not going to do a greatest hits, right? We'll get to them all eventually, but uh, we'll have a chat with one or two of them. And right now I'm standing with the ambassador, Austin Gormley, who is furiously looking at his phone because he knows I'm going to ask him a question about events there. He just wants to make sure that he knows uh, exactly what's going on there. Uh, Austin, how are you? Good summer? Good summer, yeah. Great summer, Phil. Thanks. Yeah, great to be back in Stockholm. Now, I actually, as I was saying a little bit earlier on there, you're the most organised of people, but it appears you forgot your boots Today. Could you explain to me how that managed, uh, how that happened? Yeah, the last time I, I participated in a tournament, Phil, you know, an over 40s match, I wore a fresh pair of boots and uh, got a hard time for that, so I decided I wouldn't try that again. I believe they're in the GAA Museum now in Croke Park, is that true? Yeah, exactly. The boots are definitely. Uh, yeah. And you and me will be there up, soon enough as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my, playing, my playing career is over, Phil, I can say that officially now. Yeah, mine ended 10 years ago, but I still haven't done it yet, you know. Come here to me, there's a good few things going on in the Irish community. I don't want to put you under too much pressure because you're just back from your summer break now, but you're telling me you're going to the Gothenburg Fringe. Festival. When's that on and what's 
what's happening. Yeah, it's on uh, 7th to the 11th of September, uh, Phil, so Chris O'Reilly, who you probably know, is uh, is involved in pulling that together. So yeah, Gothenburg, a bit of a buzz going on down there. There's a Gothenburg uh, Cultural Festival as well, so we look at uh, participating, getting some Irish groups out there in future, uh, some Irish traditional music, hopefully. Uh, and we're meeting a couple of members of the Irish community down there as well. You probably know them, uh, Eno Man, you know those, I yeah. think half of them are here already. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, no, looking forward to it. As you know, we need to get out of the, uh, get out of Stockholm down to the real capitals, you know. Gottenberg and Malmo. They've got to him. They've got to him at last. Austin, thank you very much for coming here today. Thanks very much for taking part in the podcast. We're going to move on over here because, uh, as I say, there's a load of old guests that we've had on the podcast before. Uh, I'm sitting here now with Emma Ridge. I think the last time I spoke to you was probably when we were in Helsinki. I'd say so, yeah. That's a long time ago now. Good to see you, Phil. And lovely to see you too. I heard somebody poked you in the eye this morning. Why was that? Ah, uh, they said you're way too good. We have to take it down a notch, give you a poke in the eye. In fairness, they should have done it a little bit earlier. A bit, bit a bit. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, yeah, it's good. There's some really good football on. We've got a great turnout now. So Copenhagen are really good to travel to us and so are Helsinki so that's really good and the men's have a great crowd as well so it'll be great all day football yeah, there's like 24 players there I think there's 24 players in the men's team in total Michelle Cotter sitting over there with a big smile on her face like a Cheshire cat over there we'll get to her in a second no finish today now we're in Sweden today so only Swedish you know um, tell me Emma how many tournaments have you played in, in Stockholm now can you remember uh, I think this is about my fifth or sixth in Stockholm so yeah and, and how many of those were with Anna Rungard can you imagine I only played one with Anna Rungard believe it or not and yet, here she is, here back she is today. Back again, so I'll great, tell you what, though. we'll move around the circle here because we do have Nordic GAA royalty here. And uh, she made her comeback today. She's wearing number 14. She's wearing the full forwards jersey. No, normally known for a defendant. Anna, how are you? I'm good. Well, I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> you, you actually want to answer, I'm really not good at all, Phil. Where's the ambulances have rented for the day? What was it like coming back after? How many years were you away? Uh, <clears throat> I think it's been five years now. It didn't look like that. You looked very sharp. Uh, did I? Well, thank you. That's not really how I felt out there. <laughs> what was it like when they threw in the ball there? Uh, it was uh, nervous, uh, but fun. It's fun to be back. But, oh, my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired now. But it was a lot of fun. But have you done any sort of physical exercise in the meantime? Like, you know, have you been doing anything? Yeah, I have. I have. But I've only been running, like jogging. Mm. Not the sprint. I think the sprint thing is killing me. That's what I need to get back into. After being away for so long, Anna, have you seen anything change? Now, obviously, the people have changed yeah. fucking completely. We're two dinosaurs here today, <laughs> you and me, right? Well, Vera's here. Vera's still here as well. But uh, well, have you? can you notice any changes in the, so the atmosphere or anything around the club? Uh, no, I think it's the same great atmosphere. Lots of great, fun people. Uh, a little bit of difference in the rules, it feels like, um, in the game. Uh, but no, it's, it's more or less the same, I have to say. It's nice to be back. What Anna actually means is that things that the referees didn't blow the whistle for before, they're blowing now, and that's upsetting. Yes. You know? But we, we let you enjoy the rest of the day. We will, however, talk to Veronica Tillander, who never went away. You never left us, did you? I left. No, you didn't. I Only briefly. Boston and had a kid and all that. Actually, that's, a, that's only around the corner. But look, at you seem to turn up. As, as soon as that child was born, you were here with the pram in goal again, uh, right? Yeah, kind of. Did you ever play when you were in Boston? No, I didn't. I didn't have time. I was stuck in the lab. Uh, are you afraid of me because you're sitting there with your gum shield still in? Oh, no, sorry. I, I, I'm too... You know, I'm too used to it, and it fits so great now, so it's like a part of me. And it's, it's lovely as white. It's actually nearly as white as your lovely teeth as well. How many tournaments have you played here? I was just asking Emma Ridge the same question, as oh. Michelle Cotter sneaks off, but we'll get to that. I have no idea. Because you've really been around like for a long time now as well. Yeah, maybe. Let, I don't, let's say at least two 
a year for eight years. <laughs> What's that? Two times eight. I don't know that. Sixteen. You're a yeah, scientist, Gail. Come on, get your act no, together. No, no, no. Not today. Not today. I'm only here for game today. Today, today I'm a goalkeeper slash halfback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more question, Vera, then I'll let you go and enjoy the rest of it. What is it that keeps you coming back? Uh, it's a great game. Great people. Just a lot of fun. You know? Yeah. You don't feel you need a whole lot more than that, do you? No. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, right, I've got to ramble around here. Thanks for talking to me. Oh, you're welcome. Why aren't you playing? Are you going to do it? Yeah, no, I am Kevin. Yeah, no, 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 come back here. Right, we well, have heard this man's name on the podcast so many times, right, because every time I'm sitting in my little studio on St. Dave's Pond, I'm thinking of him getting into his little van and driving away and trying to avoid work for the next five days. Uh, Kevin Carroll, your debut on the podcast, how are you? Fantastic, can't complain. A lovely sunny day here in Scarpnick and... Uh, great to see uh, a lot of new old, new faces to the Stockton Gales. A lot of old faces who are not really looking like they're going to do too much today. But uh, you leave Kieran Blake alone. He's also been a guest on this podcast. Oh, I know. Have you? Yeah. Just haven't listened to that one. <laughs> he was talking about how great his beer is, and you usually switch off when that happens, don't you? Oh no. Well, I'll drink his beer, but I don't need to be listening to him telling me how good it is. <laughs> All right. The big question today is: Who is retired and who isn't? Is Kevin Carroll retired from Gaelic football? Would you say? I would say semi-retired like I'd, I'm not fond of their training anymore I'd like to come here now and get on for a, bit, a few minutes now but you know yourself when you get up over 40 you're just like you, you get lazy I'm not going to lie to you I, I no, no I don't know that no I don't know and that I don't, no. you don't know that there because you're sitting on your hole all day walking around talking to people and doing nothing I'm up <laughs> putting rafters on the roofs and all I'm telling you Jesus, and you have two teenagers at home and Oh, no, I've, I've, uh, I think I, it's time I hung my boots up. I think it's best for everybody. Well, look, we may get to that. The idea is that today at some point we'll play a game. we get some of the old boys out here now. But we have a man who's at the absolute other end of the scale now who's just after arriving over in Stockholm. Tom Brennan, what do you think of this so far after arriving on Wednesday? Well, the weather's been great. <laughs> the rest is fucking useless. <laughs> I, was, I was told it's cold here, but I'm actually impressed so far. It's been 25 degrees every day, so I'm happy so far. Uh, the standard has been decent. A couple of tackles going in. You like that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah I like the physical side of it, yeah. 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 And did, did you expect to be at a Gaelic football tournament sort of four days after arriving over? No, I didn't, I didn't. But um, John Carroll got me involved, so I'm happy to be here. Met loads of Irish people and, and not Irish people and trying to get some contacts as I'm only new here. So if anybody's out there and listening to this podcast and they need somebody who's looking for a bit of work, Tom has just moved over. You did a lot of driving in your past and you drive buses and that kind of thing. I did. I, I worked with Dublin Bus for nine years and uh, I have a truck licence as well. So I'm basically looking for work in anything. I can do a bit of labouring and building work as well. Yeah. So anything at all that's out there, you get in touch with me. I'll put you in touch with Tom Brennan. Now, none of this is conditional on his performance later on. doesn't matter if he doesn't pass me the ball at all, lads, right? He's, we still need to put this man to work. So I get in touch with him. pass you the ball and you only give it away. Fucking Kevin Carroll again, honest to God. Hang on a second. We'll move on to the man who's going to look after the celebrations here this evening. I haven't seen any beard beside the pitch yet, Kieran Blake. Oh, well, it wasn't ordered, you know. It's what do you mean it wasn't ordered? <laughs> Okay, how long have you been in Sweden? I've been long enough to know the alcohol laws would restrict my ability to hand out any free alcohol and especially publicise it on a public pod- podcast I, I, like did, this I, did, I didn't say I had to tell anybody. You know. How are you keeping anyway? Back uh, after the summer? Uh, it's all great. It's fantastic to be here. It's uh, great to catch up with some old friends and check out some football. We don't do it often enough, I don't think. Um, yeah, it's fantastic to watch the guys hopping off each other and not have to worry about getting killed myself for a change. <laughs> but at the same time, you have the Copas back on there. You have the I shorts do. on. I do. I, I was told there was going to be some sort of a veteran game, so I said I'd tug out for that. Uh, bit of crack. Um, hopefully it's not too serious. I want to get home this evening in one piece. Uh, well, look, there's no promises here, you know that. No, but I guess, I, I, like Tom was saying there, he enjoys the physical side of the game, and it's, it's kind of my game as well. So 
uh, I, I don't mind getting a few flakes but uh, <laughs> so looking at these young fellas here in their 20s I don't fancy hit, getting hit off on them no, no I well, uh, boy I love that I want to get home in one piece but I'm not really that bothered about the rest of them is what you're saying well you know when you're playing the full back line for long enough Phil you, 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 you're only worried about hurting people you know that's the, that's the main game that's the main as I said to you on WhatsApp last night bring the body bags we're coming for all of them I know exactly exactly. I have a few of them there now for the lads but I probably more need stretchers for afterwards or some sort of trip to the hospital for, for, for some recovery stuff rather than any injuries well, i tell you what hold that thought because what we're going to do here is we're going to park this thought now and then I think are you coming with us for a bite to eat and a couple of drinks a little bit later on uh, we are, yeah, we're going to go to the old brewer I think inside in town so right so this, that's as good a point as anywhere to set a stop for this part of the podcast and the next part of the podcast is where we become the elfless at the bar talking how it was much better in our day and how we would have won all those games the fellas maybe lost today I think you may need some serious editing skills to manage that later Phil. Ah, look at you. I have the libel insurance we'd be grand I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it <laughs> oh, great stuff the fans try to hold their nerves in his 55th championship match. 15 points in his career so far. He's already got one today. The distance with the angle about 45 metres. Here he comes to win the All-Ireland. Cuxton, he's put it over the bar. And Dublin are in front by 112 to 111. Cuxton the hero. Ah, that's what a day of football that turned out to be. It's one of those days when you're running around the place, right? And you um, you can't really sort of keep an eye on absolutely everything. So you'd love to be recording bits of the podcast. You'd love to be recording the games as they go on and all this kind of crack. But then you're trying to play the games yourself. I so got the old boys together and we played. And uh, we did very well. We had a good old game now between us. And Paul Corley was up from Gothenburg and that was a good crack. And... Um, so yeah we had a lovely day altogether now it didn't go great for the Stockholm Gales but it went better for our good friends our neighbours if you like up in Yavla a couple of hours up the road they got themselves all the way to the final but unfortunately got beaten there by the Odense Odense are just the best uh, team the Danish lads uh, they're the best team in the region at the moment today won the Nordic Championship today the girls did great they got out there against a team from Helsinki you will have heard them on previous episodes of the podcast a team of only Finnish girls, pretty much. I don't think there was an Irish girl among them, but they were beaten, unfortunately. Helsinki were beaten in the final. Our girls didn't make it to the final, and they came all the way up. Uh, for All the girls that came all the way up from Copenhagen well, ran away as the winners in that one, and they won the whole of the Nordic Championship there, too. A little bit of a weird one, you know. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but here it is again. I think post-COVID is getting a little bit difficult to uh, to get people to to do things again. You know, you don't want to, like, you know, you don't want to commit to to football and they don't want to commit to Gaelic football and that and that's making things a little bit difficult but uh, it was an absolutely brilliant day it was so weltering so it was very warm humid in the morning rained a little bit then the sun came out I reckon I'd say I'd be budding now like uh, into bits altogether so what we're going to do now right is that um, there's a couple of parties going on around the place we gave out the trophies and everything straight afterwards because that's always more fun when everybody's there and you can present them and uh, the John Heron Trophy went to the Odense lads and they've had it now for a couple of years and now they have it back again it's the first Nordic Championship since the pandemic so now I'm on the way to meet some of the elder boys that you heard a little bit earlier on right so we had Kevin Carroll hopefully John Carroll will be there um, Colin Cote is going to be there uh, Kieran Blake is going to be there so we'll just check in with them again to see what they thought of the day and the standard and how much they enjoyed it so at the moment, I'm, if you hear me fucking puffing and puffing, I was worn out before I started, so just after dropping all the stuff back into the studio, uh, just away from Sancti Explan there, and BJ's I'm worn out. I only played the one game. We had a good old, uh, good old charge around the place, so I'm off now to the old brewer, which I think appeared in like the Christmas special. They were talking about the lovely Christmas dinner they had down there, so uh, we booked in there, a few of us, 
I sit around the table. The lads are going to drink a few beers. I might have an alcohol-free one myself. Am I going to talk a little bit about the Nordic Gaelic Football Championship? Let's see how it goes, anyway. A streaker on the ground now. He must be a Kilkenny man because he's quite happy with the situation right now. The stewards are moving in on him now from all sides. The Hornlers are ignoring it. He's now gone past the centre of the field. He's got on the Hornish Made a fever of sheet down well over it. He's dodging his way, trying to get away now from the from the players. He has made a good run. He's on the 50-yard line, the other side of the field. He's brought to the ground. Play is being halted here. This is not the referee's business. He's quite happy to wait until the pitch is cleared. Hard streak and a gamak. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> we can go back to the podcast now because apparently this beef wanting to be in order. Colin, if we get it out of the way now, we won't get all the drunken rambling a bit, a bit later on, right? So we just have to get this out of the way. Um, we, we, look, at one of the things we promised we wouldn't say is that Kevin wasn't playing legally today, right? But um, the question did go around the, t- the table, Kevin. Um, uh, how much did you score today? I think I scored like I think not two or something, yeah, not two. Oh, oh two. Yeah, oh two. Yeah. I, I thought there was the odd point, uh, the odd goal in there. I don't know. Ask them. Listen, I'm not going to because if I say what I scored, I'm going to be blowing my trumpet. So I'm not saying that. Lads, what do we think he scored? He got three goals, but they were tappings. I gave him assists. They were the fuck. They were, you're joking me. <laughs> you're like a person this podcast. So fuck off. I, I, I'm sorry. I think the whole thing just exploded on me here. It's not going in there at all anymore. My God, already. We'll turn that down just a little bit. Uh, Kevin, what was it like being back after all these years? That was brilliant. But the highlight of the day is the faces around this table tonight. That's it. It's all do, about do you mean because they're all fucking sunburned? <laughs> it, it actually makes me feel really good about myself. How shite they are. There's <laughs> <laughs> someone place you can go and feel handsome on a Saturday evening. But did you notice a huge difference? Because you were watching the other teams play and everybody else. Did you notice a big difference between back, back in the day when we were fucking lording it over everyone? I, I would say so. Like, do you know what, actually? It's... Um, We've all been there. We've we've done the tournaments, and it was ten years ago. As you said, you put up the thing on Instagram last night, uh, and you put the band of brothers up. The lads sitting around this table at the minute, and I I, I really missed that. Actually, it, was, it actually hit me that last last night when you wrote that there. You know, fucking soft. No, it, it did. It, it actually it, it it really hit me when you said that there. And I, I'm watching the the tournament today. There's a little bit of sadness in me to think that we haven't got that. But there was glints of it in our game today when we were going up the field. Colin, you, the the goal for you, the little hand passes here and there, Johnny. It was from from you to me to Courtney to the back of the net, and it was just that little bit of a. You got that feeling again. You know, this is the 2010 team. This is the championship team that won Everton, and it's uh, it's really sad in a way. But then, like I said, when I look around where we are tonight, it's just it was so worth it where we got. Phil, Phil managed to get a call too. <laughs> We're not talking about that. I have a whole podcast myself, lads. I don't have to talk about these. You never press record. Can you say that? Again? <laughs> Nobody's going to believe it every time. Just one last question for you, Kev. At what point did you realise that all those balls that you thought you could get to, you were never going to get to them? <laughs> Jesus Christ. My brother, Sean, I swear to God, he was always 10 steps ahead of himself in his brain, and the ball was behind him, and I was looking at him going, Will you settle down? And in the first half, that was me. And in the second half, I said, You know what? Calm yourself down. Go back in the second year, and then it all worked out. There was a lot of that going on, but not somebody who didn't really get affected by that was John Carroll, right? Now, John, did John say waving there? I'm not going to talk about. Off, off, I, yeah. I have described playing football with John Carroll as like being in the Matrix. You know, your man Neo in the Matrix. John Carroll doesn't get bothered by any of that, and it looked the same today because you were actually playing outfield. You weren't playing in the goal today. You were looking for a bit of glory yourself, yeah. Well, who set you up for the first goal? See, he was good. He was looking for the goal. You were very generous, John. <laughs> and I have to say, open goal, I, I have to say, if, well. if that's if that's the last time it happens, I'm so grateful to you for, for that. But did you enjoy yourself out there today? I loved it. I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was uh, nice to grace the field again with yourself and, and Kevin, Colin, Kieran. 
Don't Joe Howard, don't I, I'm else. not even going to go. No, but uh, no, it, it was really enjoyable today. And in terms of when we watch watching the final there, lads, <laughs> when you think of some of the very exciting finals, Odin said a couple of years ago against Stockholm in Malmo was the best final I ever saw. We played a couple of really good finals as well. But like you know, it, there was no great excitement there there today, was there? No comments on that one. <laughs> no comments. There's, there's no excitement when we're not winning, when we're not involved. <laughs> like it's you're kind of a little bit. Dis- detracted when Odense and Yavla blamed I thought they were really good yeah. they were quite physical they were very good but like when Stockholm weren't involved we were much more involved and it felt better then. Um, I do the question has to be asked is that the only game that the Stockholm Gales won today lads it was and all they lost every single game I'm sure they lost all the games we were, we were the only winners <laughs> in Stockholm today oh, <laughs> no, we're all winners. <laughs> 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 Tom is going to do very well over here. He'll do very well over here. Well over here. Kieran, how did you enjoy yourself at the back there? Did you get to give anybody a smack? No, no, I took a bit of handy now today. It was fantastic, though. Great crack. Did you enjoy it? What was the most enjoyable thing about it? Well, I kicked the score, didn't I? He did. It, it was did. a beautiful well. I know, did. and I was looking for the top corner, but you know, I wouldn't have that kind of technique. All the way up there. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That was great crack. That was fantastic. Like Kevin was saying, just playing with your old friends. And kind of rekindling a bit, and ah, it was great. Really enjoyed it. And um, how many lies do you reckon are going to be told around this table now this evening? I'd say it'll depend on how many points we drank. <laughs> <laughs> how many have we had so far? Uh, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom's paying, so we'll be out, right? The microphone, though, I'm getting a bit distracted because it's very similar to John Car- Carroll's head. <laughs> 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 it's, full, full it's like. It's like it's, <laughs> I'm wondering if, if, if John was like, John is very kind of grey hair. Maybe you, you know, the donation to the to the microphone tonight because it looks very like him. The, the picture on Instagram for this is going to be a picture of the microphone and a picture of John Carroll's head. And we shall let the listeners decide a little bit. Let me move around here a little bit before this poor young one comes back on our beef Wellington. Got to move up. Joe, you bollocks, did the alarm not go off or what? No, 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 no. I've retired, way retired. When was the last time you played a game with the Stockholm Gales? Can you remember? I don't know, since I did me knee and that was it. Probably. Was that the one where I wound up in a wheelchair? Was that down in Copenhagen? Yeah, but luckily the lads can drive very well. The wheelchair through Copenhagen Airport did me very well. Managed to get home one piece. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, myself and John Carroll. John Carroll's there, yeah. That we were yeah, pushing through. And Kev. <laughs> Kev was banned, he was going way too fast. Okay, yeah. was, it, was he helping with the wheelchair or was helping? he just... Or was he trying to share it with you? Yeah, but... I, both, I'd say. I think he wanted to sit me knee. I said no. <laughs> did, it, did a body? In a, do you do you get down to see any of the football today? Did you? I came down, yeah. So I missed you guys playing, though. I didn't see you guys playing, so I came after that. You so you just turned around and went home again, basically. Pretty much, you? pretty much, pretty much. It was all over for me. No. It was all over. Yeah. Tom, your first experience in Nordic Gaelic football. How did that go for you? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, some good standards of play, but I thought, to be fair to the lads in the final, I thought they were a bit worn out because they all played. A lot of games. It was a bit of a wall, wasn't it? Yeah, but we all played a lot of games, and I don't think their old legs were fresh for the final. Yeah. But it was still decent. But I thought the lads were probably the team of the day. The old boys here. The old boys. The old boys you could see the, the camaraderie between them. They all kind of knew where each other were going, and you could see that they all played together before. Uh, even before you said you were going to pick up the bill here this evening, you fit in very well into this team. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm not too bad. You know, good players around you, you're, you're going to be okay. But it was lovely to see somebody just slot in there, wasn't it? And he just went in there and he wasn't afraid or anything. He was just like, lads, when I'm on the ball, I'll deal with it. I'll give it to John, I'll give it to Carl. It was fantastic to have you there all together. Yeah, I, like, I like having the ball. I like to have the ball, you know. Yeah. I'm comfortable with the ball. Sorry. There's a few people who were treated like a fucking hot potato today. How are you, Kev? Yeah. Um, ju- just on the other note, because this was the first day that you met a lot of people in the Irish community here. Were we? Was this the first day you met anybody in the Irish community since you moved over? 
Yeah, well, I knew John Carroll before I moved here, but yeah, kind of, more or less, yeah. 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 And how was that? Yeah, all good lads, yeah, and good women. Yeah, nice, made me feel welcome. Yeah. Bit of a B.O. problem off a couple of lads, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, probably, it's probably the heat. We give it, we put it down to the heat. We'll put it down to the heat for today. And just lastly, because you came over, was it two days ago you arrived over? On the boat, yeah. <laughs> did, you get a, did you get a couple of leads looking for a bit, a bit of jobs and that kind of thing? Yeah, I did. I, I got talking to a few great people and... Hopefully now something will come out of it in the next couple of days. Magnificent altogether. And last but not least here this evening, Kieran O'Reilly, you were involved a little bit with the, the kids. Were you involved in the kids' training session business and that kind of thing? I brought two of them to the, <laughs> the tournament. You can't get much more involved than that. That was the extent of my involvement, I think. <laughs> did, did they enjoy it? Because both your kids were born and pretty much raised over here, were they? Yeah, yeah they were both born here. and um, No, they enjoyed it. They, yeah, they thought it was good fun. I think um, Colin did a great job there. Uh, Coaching them now, yeah. So, uh, oh, Killian was very competitive, so uh, he was enjoying it anyway. So. Yeah, I'm just thinking about yourself and Claire would be fairly competitive as well. What would yeah, their I wonder where he got that from? <laughs> <laughs> but what would their relationship to Gaelic games be like? Because I know he loves the soccer. Killian loves the soccer in particular. Cara probably does as well, does she? Uh, Killian definitely. Cara's still a bit young for uh, sport, I suppose, but. Um, no, well, we'd watch the you know the big matches uh, in the championship or that, and um, Cavanagh in the top. Yeah, <laughs> we we watch the big matches, and these are from Cavanagh and Waterford. Ah, come on! The act- I meant the actual big matches, but. Um, <laughs> So, so in fairness, your kids have probably seen as many big games as you have. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's a, of course, it's a, it's a bit of a novelty, but they, they understand that you know it's a, it's a huge thing in Ireland. So um, they like the connection to it, like you know, at the same time. So it's, um, it's good. How did they take to the game today? Because they enjoyed it so much, they went running off to see Dermot Kennedy as soon as it was over. Yeah, well, I think we all did. Like, so that was maybe the highlight of the day. But uh, <laughs> it was straight out the gate. So it was, uh, yeah, Dermot was very good. We should have got him in here tonight as well. Well, we did. We made great efforts. Unfortunately, uh, we got word back through the channels. Dermot, how are you doing? <laughs> did you bring your boots, Dermot? Uh, Dermot was only getting off a plane this morning, which is why he didn't get all the messages in time, so we didn't get him in there. But... Um, Lads, is this it? Is this the last time we do this? Not a chance. <laughs> you me. Was that the fellow who scored the hat-trick today by HS and we got, got chiming in on that one? Hold on a second. I've got to sneak around a corner to up here. Kevin, what, what would bring you back? Are you going to go back into training with the lads? Would you like to play in the A-team again? It's, it's not about bringing us back to training. It's not about any of that. It's about this here. It doesn't have to be training. It just has to be this group of lads. And it, there shouldn't be a definitive... Um, decision made this evening on what we're doing and how we're doing it it should just be like you know what enjoy tonight wake up tomorrow and then who knows what it shouldn't be like you, you, we shouldn't finalise anything I think we should never finalise anything you're a pure example of that there. what age are you now go on don't be afraid to say it now Kevin you blew don't be, don't be giving them a political answer now right, say it 51 Kevin 51 51, right? 51 years of age the man is doing taekwondo UFC <laughs> Gaelic football soccer talking shite into this grey microphone and <laughs> Stuck it straight into John Carroll's head, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? You just blew the whole podcast because this was going to be the last one for me. But, Ox, but not. after that statement, we're that here. We, we can't say goodbye. We can't. So I'll tell you what, we'll sign off the podcast by saying not goodbye to Gaelic football, not goodbye to the Stockholm Gales. But until we meet again, have a great week wherever you may be. Age, if you like, it's an attitude, it's a state of mind. And I've met people, if you like, in their old and their forties. 
They think old, they're anti-change. They think the world has gone to hell entirely instead of looking at the positive aspects of it. And as uh, my good friend John Moriarty, he might be a distant relation of mine, the philosopher who lives halfway up the Mangleton Mountain down in Killarney. If you meet John, you know, he might say it in Irish or English, Nahun to Kalaya Web Isn't it a great day to be alive? Mm -hmm.